This week in KMA Land, Page County Adjustment Board rules on Invenergy Permit. Clarenda and Corning bond issue votes yield different results. Mount Air passes pool bond issue. Mills County Hotel Motel tax is approved and calls for action in civility on the Montgomery County Pipeline Talks. I'm Mike Peterson. The latest chapter of As the Turbine Turns involved a curveball recently thrown by the Page County Board of Adjustment. By a 3 to nothing vote at a recent meeting, the Adjustment Board upheld the decision made by Zoning Administrator J.D. King after hearing testimony from Invenergy representatives and County Attorney Carl Songson. Per Iowa Code, the board heard Invenergy's appeal of King's letter indicating a material change in the Shenandoah Hills wind project thus making the application null and void. That's despite the Board of Supervisors' approval in August. Songson, speaking on behalf of the county, says the letter notifying of a material change came after Jenny Berkheiser with KYFR sent an email on January 5th to the Board of Supervisors notifying them of an agreement that was reached to remove three turbines from the project. On February 3rd, uh, based upon that email, J.D. King, as Page County Zoning Administrator, sent a letter to Isaac Lampa with Invenergy that uh, informed them that the reduction of three wind turbines combined with the prior reduction of additional three for a total of six constituted a material change. That letter further indicated that based upon that change, it was considered that their application was void and they would have to reapply. However, with no exact definition of material change in the county's wind ordinance, Songson says most of the board's decisions should be based on whether they feel King had an accurate representation of material change. On top of six turbines being a nearly 20% change from the 31 turbines proposed in Page County, Songson says a continued reduction in turbines also begins reducing the proposed property tax revenue to the county. That property tax revenue benefits schools, fire departments, law enforcement. It's spread throughout the county in that way. It benefits county government. Number one, the zoning administrator reviewed and approved that application based upon the number that was in the application being 31. That application was then passed to the Board of Supervisors. They reviewed and approved that based upon that same number. And after extensive public debate, uh, the Board of Supervisors approved that application being 31 wind turbines in Page County. During the Board's discussion, Board Member Kalen Folk felt that there was little doubt that the material change had occurred. I'm not going to get weeds, but what we're, what we're being asked is, is this a material change? Six turbines out of 31 is is a night is almost 20 percent change i mean what we're being asked is if it's a material change and I, yeah. it's a material okay. change yeah i mean there's no doubt about it it's it's pretty cut and dry the decision to uphold the ruling also came despite testimony from Christy Rogers, who spoke on behalf of Invenergy to reverse the decision. Rogers says the wind company had submitted their application last March with an understanding that they would have a 300-foot leeway around the proposed turbine areas without triggering material change. So long as the location within that circle met all the requirements of the ordinance and was thoroughly vetted in the way that the main location was. And that, that is exactly what the application portrayed. And Mr. King understood that. Shenandoah Hills Wind prepared the application with the understanding that that was permissible. 
what was going to trigger a material change with regard to movement was outside of the range of 300 feet. Rogers also expressed that while adding a turbine should warrant a material change, removing turbines is less clear due to the county still having the information on the turbines, and stated the board was already aware of the initial three turbines being removed from the application before its approval in August. Rogers also argued the decision to void the application was unconstitutional under the U.S. and Iowa constitutions regarding property rights. That means property, in a broad sense, property rights that are protectable under the Constitution. And there's clear case law and clear decisions of courts that explain what those rights are, and they include rights in land, rights in permits, especially those pertaining to land, and they include investment-backed expectations. Rogers also says Invenergy did not get due process in the matter before a decision was made to avoid the application. Board members Merrill Cruz and James O'Hara abstained from the voting. Well, referendums for major school renovations met with different results Tuesday in special elections in two KMA land school districts. First, voters in the Clarenda School District turned thumbs down on a $14 million bond issue and the voted physical plant and equipment levy. Public Measure A, the bond issue question, and Public Measure B, the 10-year PEPL, both failed with nearly 60% voting against them. Proceeds in the bond issue would have covered construction of new classroom additions, renovating the science and family consumer sciences rooms, and upgrading restrooms at the 712 complex, and renovating the east office and administrative space, and constructing a new early childhood center at the pre-K-6 building. School officials proposed the PEPL for other projects, not included in the bond issue, including renovation of the career and technical education building in the 712 complex, secure entryways of the pre-K-6 building, and a bus barn allowance as well. While saying he's disappointed, Clarenda School Superintendent Jeff Privia tells King of News, the district is still committed to addressing needs in each building. You know, we'd hoped for a better outcome, but you know, despite the results from this special election, we remain committed to finding acceptable long-term solutions that benefit our students, staff, and community residents. You know, based on, on our current challenges of the school district and the future, future and ongoing investments will be necessary just to address all of our facility needs. Privy admits the bond issue and PEPL proposals with tax increases attached were tough sells. You know, we're going from a $12.13 tax rate, and I was looking at bumping that up to by $4.04. So I knew it was a big ask when we went into this. And, you know, we needed to find out where we were with our community and what they were thinking. Privia also says misinformation placed on social media played a role in the referendum's defeat. There's quite a little bit of misinformation out there on Facebook. You know, of course, I always challenge the patrons of our community to, you know, fact check some of that stuff before they just take it at their word. A lot of those things were inflated or used old information. So... You know, we always have to combat that stuff. Um, it seems to be the new political environment. If You know, you just kind of push your own agenda, and if, if people don't like that, I guess they, they, they just listen to that, and I'm not sure why, but they do at this, this time in our political arena. Privia plans to discuss the bond issue results with the district's facilities committee. He expects another bond issue attempt in November, but on a smaller scale. It was a different story in the Corning School District Tuesday where voters approved a $19.2 million bond issue with almost 74% of the vote and an increase in the district's debt service levy between $2.70 and $4.05 per $1,000 valuation by more than 70% of the vote. 
passage of the bond issue clears the way for renovations at Corning Elementary School and improvements to the district's baseball-softball complex, among other projects. Both questions needed a 60% supermajority in order to pass. Chris Fenster is superintendent of the Southwest Valley Schools. Fenster tells KMA News the bond issue's overwhelming support demonstrated the faith Corning residents have in the school district. I knew in the end that, you know, they're going to they're gonna support it. They're a good community, just like the Wilson community supported us two years ago or three years ago with the bond referendum. The Corning community answered last night, and they supported it as well. I'm just excited about being able to put, put new facilities, good facilities for all of our kids, make it equity now for all of our kids to be able to use the facilities. And, you know, all of our buildings are going to be renovated now in the last 10 years. And so it's a, it's a good thing for us. Fenster also believes voters were adequately educated regarding the district's building needs. I think that's part of the educational part of it. We showed a lot of videos of what, what it looked like. People took tours of it. Our two community meetings were well attended by people. And, and great questions were asked at those, time, at those meetings. I think that's what built a lot of faith. Word of mouth got out that we know what we're doing. We're, we're going to do what's best for our kids here. And we just need the trust that we're going to do what's best for the kids of Corning and Villisca, and, you know, it came through last night. Though the referendum passed, Fenster hopes to further engage the public in the renovations planning process. One of the things with the design phase, I want to make sure we get community input on that, so I'm going to, I'll probably talk to the board about getting a committee together for a design committee that will help us as we go out through the thing. I want to make sure we're design, designing things that you know, we're not being gaudy about things. We're designing things that are going to be good for our kids. Meanwhile, voters in Mount Air approved a bond issue for a different sort of project Tuesday. Unofficial results in the Ringgold County Auditor's Office show voters approved two questions connected to upgrading the city's pool facilities. Public Measure A, which entailed a $2 million bond issue for constructing, furnishing, and equipment a public swimming pool, passed by more than 69% of the vote. Public Measure B, the renewal of the city's local option sales and service tax to cover the bond's costs, received more than 75% of the vote. With the voters' support, the city council can now move forward on developing a design for the pool. City Administrator Brent Wise told KMA News the results indicated strong support from residents wanting to upgrade the facility, which was originally constructed in 1962. The community spoke that they did want a new pool, and as well as they are very supportive of the local option sales and service tax once the current one expires. So that will allow the city to plan better for any future projects. The current lost tax was set to expire in 2027, and following that year, 25% of the revenues will go towards paying off the bond issue. Why says the council has received one proposal from the city's engineering firm on a 4,000-square-foot outdoor facility? He hopes the council will take time to deliberate which design they want to move forward with throughout the next 30 days. It allows the council, our city council now, to always use the term deliberate to determine which direction they want to go of a, an outdoor pool at Judge Lewis Park or the second option that was posed by a community committee that is trying to get the council to support their hybrid Project. Well, the bond issue would cover up to $2 million of the project. Wise says pairing the referendum with other available funds gives them confidence financially that they could move forward with the proposed outdoor facility. Voters in Mills County's unincorporated areas Tuesday overwhelmingly approved a hotel motel tax. 
Unofficial results in the Mills County Auditor's Office show the referendum for a 7% tax on the county's hotel and motel rooms passing with more than 83% of the vote. County economic development officials proposed the tax in an effort to lure a proposed hotel development somewhere in the vicinity of the Interstate 29 Highway 34 Business District, as well as promote tourism. Mills County Economic Development Director Andrew Rainbolt discussed the potential revenue generated from the tax in a recent interview on KMA's Morning Line program. We think, and I think it's kind of a conservative number, but somewhere you know between 100 to 150 thousand dollars a year is what we think we could generate once it you know gets fully up and, and, and running. And that doesn't include you know other places that might be subject to the tax, such as Airbnbs or any existing rental cabins or things like that. Just under 4% of the county's registered voters cast ballots in Tuesday's special election. Still to come, the latest on the Montgomery County pipeline discussion. Stay tuned. Calls for action and civility on the contentious pipeline issue were heard during Tuesday morning's Montgomery County Board of Supervisors meeting. Last week, as you'll recall, the board took no action to the first reading of an ordinance regulating pipelines carrying hazardous liquid materials, such as Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Express pipeline planned to run through portions of Montgomery County and others through western Iowa. During that meeting, County Board of Adjustment Chair Rick Taylor questioned language regarding the board's responsibilities in approving conditional use permits. Since that time, Taylor says he's met with County Zoning Administrator Barry Byers regarding changes in the proposed ordinance. Taylor called for a meeting with the entire Board of Adjustment on the proposed changes. I would like to have the input of all my board members. Uh, I'm the chairman and I can speak for myself as chairman, but I can't speak for all the board members. So I thought it'd be prudent to call a meeting of the Board of Adjustment to discuss the ordinance to see if there was any other input they wanted to put in the ordinance before the board before the board here again. Vicki Rossander is a former county planning and zoning board member and now living in Rapid City, South Dakota. Rossander says she asked several times whether it would be appropriate for Board of Adjustment members to attend the Planning and Zoning Commission meetings only to be rebuffed at every turn, as she said. She added she's sick and tired of hearing how the ordinance might affect Summit since the ordinance is not directed at them. Come on, folks. When you pass the solar ordinance, you stated you trusted the Planning and Zoning Commission to do their work and you respected that decision. Why should this ordinance be any different? The Planning and Zoning Commission did their work. They voted to pass this ordinance. Let's get it on the schedule, get it passed, and get it on the book so it can start protecting Montgomery County. In response, Supervisors Chair Mike Olson reacted to an incident during last week's public hearing in which a participant reportedly uttered profanity on Zoom. Olson called for civility in future meetings. I just want to let everybody know that Zooming and otherwise Let's keep this professional because there are other there are many people that watch this and listen, and uh, and we try to keep keep the profanity down to a minimum. As a matter of fact, we we won't tolerate it. <laughs> There's no word on when or if the ordinance's first reading will be placed on a future supervisor's meeting agenda. Stay tuned. Despite some hurdles, Mills County and Pacific Junction officials have agreed to provide non-emergency services within the city's limits for next fiscal year. During its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the Mills County Board of Supervisors recommended the Sheriff's Office sign an annual 28E agreement with the Pacific Junction City Council, ensuring the city is covered for non-emergency services for fiscal year 2024 beginning July 1st. While an agreement signed by Pacific Junction officials was presented to County Attorney Deshaun Birds late last week. County Sheriff Travis Otter says this is the third year in a row that Pacific Junction missed a February 1st deadline to return the document after it was sent out December 27th. 
A deadline, he adds, is set for all municipalities in the county utilizing the service. If there's a burglary in progress or a violent felony, we're going, just like uh, Deshaun said. But non-emergency situations are not going to be handled without the contract. I'm not here to bully teachers, and I don't want this to come across that. But at what point do I set the standard of you get this in on time or you don't get it at all? Birdsell says she had brought the situation to the Board of Supervisors before Pacific Junction had returned the agreement to the county. While not wanting to make it a priority, she says that without a contract, she would be put in a situation to potentially file suit against the city if they did not find another outfit or agency to provide non-emergency services within city limits. Citing a 1997 Supreme Court case involving the city of Mingo, Iowa. So there was a dispute that arose between the city and the sheriff regarding compensation of services. And at that time, the county decided not to provide services to the city. The county attorney then filed suit against the, the city, basically saying, you are required under 372.4... It states that the mayor shall appoint police, law enforcement, for their town if they're incorporated. While the agreement has missed the deadline in recent years, Otter and Pacific Junction Mayor Andy Young confirmed the city has always made its payment to the county. Young adds the letter might have slipped through the cracks due to ongoing communications with FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security and flood recovery efforts, along with moving around the location of City Hall in late November. I can't say we weren't aware of it. We know we have a contract with you guys every year, okay? Uh, I don't think that she was aware that an email was sent until February 1st, because that's when, you know, February 2nd or 3rd, she called your uh, your clerk and said I, I came across this email what's this mean young added he did not recall receiving a subsequent certified letter from the sheriff's office and also suggested sending out the agreement sooner rather than later however once the city found out they still needed to send the agreement back young says they did so promptly after considerable discussion, Otter said he would sign the agreement for fiscal 24 and is hopeful the city can meet the deadline in the future. He adds he'll reach out to Young personally once next year's contract has been sent, ensuring the city is aware. Plans for implementing franchise fees on gas and electrical services in Red Oak are on hold for a couple of weeks. At its regular meeting Monday night, the Red Oak City Council tabled action on sending a public hearing on an ordinance implementing the franchise fees and the services provided by Mid-American Energy and a resolution setting a revenue purpose statement on allocating the potential funds. The decision came after Interim City Administrator Al Vicanti presented a draft statement to the council. If city officials implement the 1-5% to fee, it would replace the current 1% local option sales tax collected on gas and electrical services. Thus, Vacanti says he wanted to ensure allocations are made to replace the lost funds, and based on a 5% fee, roughly 20% of the funds would be needed to do so. If you decided not to go to 5%, this would be a higher percentage. It would be 25% at 4%, it would be uh, 33 and a third at 3 or 50%. But I wanted to protect the 1%, the concerns that people had on that, of the lost revenue. And again, as previously stated, the 1% from this or this 1% would probably generate more revenue than you will get on the 1% that is classified as lost revenue. But due to the percentage of the statement reflecting only a 5% franchise fee, the council agreed to change the language, simply stating the first 1% of any fee would replace the lost funds. 
The discussion, which has been ongoing for nearly a year, came in part with the city needing to renew franchise service agreements with MidAmerican, primarily allowing the utility company to utilize city right-of-way to provide gas and electrical services to the city. However, Councilman Pete Wenhoff feels the latest discussions of a franchise fee have started to become rushed and also posed the question of whether or not they should include the incoming city administrator in the conversation. Wow, you're doing a fantastic job, and uh, I appreciate your efforts, but is this something we want to involve a new city administrator through all of this process, not just start it and then bring him or her into the fray? I just, I feel disjointed. I feel, it's just how I feel. I feel it's rushed. I think they need to be involved in it too, as it affects our city going forward. Based on city projections, the fee could generate anywhere from over $82,000 for gas and electric to over $413,000 annually, based on the percentage implemented. However, Mayor Shauna Silvia says adopting a revenue purpose statement would be the first step in starting a formal community engagement process. With one eye on developments at the State House, Clarenda officials are proceeding with the city's budget process for next fiscal year. Meeting in regular session Wednesday night, the council held a public hearing and unanimously approved the proposed budget for fiscal year 2024 beginning July 1st. Under the proposed budget, the city's property tax levy increased roughly 25 cents from the current fiscal year to $16.75 per thousand dollars valuation. The action comes despite the Iowa legislature passing Senate File 181 that corrects a calculation error regarding rollback rates in the 2021 fiscal year. While budget members will change, City Manager Gary McClarnon says the city has chosen to keep the levy rate the same, removing the need to restart the budget process completely. As of right now, we can go ahead and approve this budget the way it is. Uh, we will have a, the, the corrected budget will be done later, but we won't have to repost or reapprove anything because we're going to be going lower. So it should be good the way it is. While the legislation's exact impact is still unknown, McLarnon says the city is expected to lose roughly $7 million in valuation, amounting to nearly $117,000 in lost revenue. Thus, as he reworks the budget, McLarnon tells KMA News some capital projects planned for fiscal 24 might not make the cut. The likely candidate, he says, is a roughly $100,000 project on the Clarinda Lead Center. We did have a mezzanine project um, that we had in slated for next year. Um, that one will, will be cut back. So, in fact, we'll probably cut it out altogether and kick that can down the road, so to speak. So, so we'll, we'll wait till things are a little bit better in the budget before we do that project. State lawmakers did extend the deadline until late April for local municipalities to have their budget certified. In other business, the council approved setting the city cleanup days for June 1st and 2nd from 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. and June 3rd from 7 a.m. to noon. Residents and community leaders alike officially welcome one of Shenandoah's newest downtown businesses Thursday morning. Shenandoah's Chamber and Industry Association held an official ribbon-cutting ceremony for Lemon Fresh Laundry at 601 West Sheridan Avenue. While the laundromat has been open for business since late January, the formal grand opening comes over a year since Brad and Tammy Sorensen with Sorensen Auto purchased the former Radio Shack property to construct the facility. Kathy Silvestri is manager of the laundromat. Amidst a packed house, Silvestri tells KMA News it was great to have the facility officially welcomed to its downtown location. It's amazing. Like, there's so, so much that went into this, and there were days where it's like, are we ever going to get our equipment? And 
we're just like everybody else. Like we we struggled getting um, equipment in or meters, and it was just like the the contractors work their tails off doing this to get it completed. The new laundromat features modern washing and drying equipment and customers giving and use their cell phones to pay for drying their clothes. While the construction project faced questions about whether it would fit into the business district aesthetics along Main Street, Sylvester feels the modern feeling structure has filled the previously vacant lot nicely. So many people in the beginning were, were so against it because they just didn't like the aesthetics of a laundromat going on Main Street and I think now it's that they see it, they just forgot that it was just this empty, broke down lot. The Lemon Fresh Laundromat is open daily from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.